pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your, own, of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. And I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. <clears throat> and you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, again for your holy and inspired and infallible and inerrant word, and we look to it again this morning. And so help us to that end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to concentrate um, on that last section 17 through 20, but to get us thinking about what's been going on, uh, we just had our missions conference here, <clears throat> and it caused me to think about it all again. Um, when we left to go to Japan, you have to go through all of your stuff. We had to separate it into three categories. Um, the first category was things that we wanted to get rid of, either by selling or by throwing away. Second category was to store somewhere things we wanted to keep but couldn't take. And then the last category was uh, the things we actually took for several years that we would be, be gone. And the mission board allows us uh, one, call it a lift van, which is a shipping container, maybe roughly the size of the drum kit, maybe, uh, drum enclosure. <clears throat> and I taped off the floor in the dining room with duct tape and a little corner piece on the wall. And we said, it's got to fit in there. If it doesn't fit in there, you can't take it. Well, when we came home, it was another sobering moment. Uh, in the plane, on the way home, it hit me. 
I don't have any keys. None. No keys in my pocket, none in my bag, not, nowhere. I didn't know, we didn't own anything that needed a key. A house, a car, a storage place, nothing. Everything we owned was in 53 cardboard boxes somewhere on a cargo ship on the ocean below us coming in a month. It was very sobering. <clears throat> All of this is to say there is a cost to following Jesus, not just on the mission field, but, but anywhere. But much harder than that, so far I've only been talking about stuff, harder than that is family, especially three little girls, Lucy, Ella, and Kate, our grandchildren. Their parents, our children, were raised in Japan, and they understood call and kingdom thinking, but the girls didn't yet. They thought, why do Nana and Baba have to go away? Don't they like it here? Worse than that, don't they like us? That's what's going on in our text today. Um, in chapter 9, 59, Jesus says, follow me. Well, some guy says, well, let me bury my father first. And Jesus says, sort of surprisingly, no, let the dead bury their own. Now, of course, he is not saying don't have funerals, don't mourn the dead, no. He knew this was an excuse from this guy that the guy intended not to follow him. Well, then more to my point, verse 61 of 9, I'll follow you, but let me say goodbye to my family first. And Jesus makes this seemingly harsh statement. His response is, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. In fact, in another place, not in this passage, he said, unless you hate your mother and father, you cannot be my disciples. No, no, he didn't mean I want you to viciously, meanly <clears throat> reject and hate them. What he meant was that if and when you put the kingdom of God first, and if that means it ends up you leaving your family, it will feel or look like you hate them. Put another way, Jesus is saying, if there's any allegiance that is higher than me, you're going to have a problem. I hope you realize I'm not saying that what Barbara and I did or any other missionaries did, what we were doing is what everyone else should do. But what I am saying is every believer has to put the Lord first in their lives and then honestly follow whatever, whenever, and however he might lead. I get behind people in traffic, and I see the little bumper sticker. It's a foil oval, and it's got three red A's on it. Have you seen that? It says American Automobile Association, but maybe you should, if you see that, maybe you should think of that as a Christian call, anything, anywhere, anytime. So he sends them out. In chapter 10, verse 1, it says that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And what we want to see, first of all, is do note that he sends them. Simple observation, but don't miss it. He sends them. 
you better be sure you're called to go. That's especially true for overseas ministry, but all of us are called <clears throat> to the harvest field, whether it's across the street or around the world. And he goes on to say, there's lots to do, but relatively few respond. And I think it's always worth it to bring it up and say, by the way, anyone here today, either here or watching, need to respond? Is God's spirit speaking to you today? Please respond, whatever form it might take. And it, for us, it can feel like a funnel that starts broad and wide, and then as you seek and follow, it narrows, and for us, it ended up in Japan, the first part can feel broad and wide and open, but you say yes and you follow and it narrows down. Then he says, shake the dust off, move on if they don't accept you and woe to them if they don't. Chorazin, Capernaum, Bethsaida, woe to you. Rejecting God is the most serious thing that can that you can do and so they experience all this and in verse 17 and this is where we want to zero in on the rest of our time they return I want us to think of it in, in two sections break let's break this the last part of the text up into two parts one is verse 17 which is the disciples experience and then we see Jesus' response to that in 18 through 20. So, 17 says, The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Ministry is the most exciting thing you'll ever do, whether it's church planting and tsunami relief work in Japan or what might feel like to you quiet behind the scenes work in Wexford, Pennsylvania or anywhere in between or beyond. And it says they returned with joy. They came back rejoicing. There is nothing more thrilling and fulfilling and downright enjoyable than being used and spent in the kingdom of God. Hard, yes, sometimes sad, sometimes painful, but so exciting doing what you were made to do. This reminds me of Psalm 37, 4 that says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And some have wrongly distorted that to say, if you say yes to Jesus, then that obligates him to grant every little wish that you have. No, in fact, it means when you delight in the Lord, you are delighting that your heart has been changed, that you have been made a recipient of the gospel of grace, that old heart is made new, that's delight yourself in the Lord, that's what you're delighting in, and now your heart can run as it was originally designed. It was made for ministry and kingdom service. And now it can finally run on that high-octane fuel. Like Eric Little 
and chariots of fire set in Scotland. His sister Jenny was trying to get him to stop being an athlete, a runner, and go with her as a missionary to China, and eventually he did, but he said to her, here's my fake Scottish accent, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. Maybe you remember that from the, the movie. But what gives you godly pleasure? Have you found it yet? Don't be like Harold Abrams. You remember him. He was Eric Little's opponent. And Abrams was consumed with, with self and winning. And he told his trainer, if I can't win, I won't run. To which his trainer wisely responded, well, if you don't run, you can't win. So let's let that be our attitude before the Lord. And are we holding back because we're afraid we'll fail? You were made for ministry. So throw your head back and run. You can't mess it up, not in any real sense. Did you notice the simple statement, the 72 returned? They made it. You're going to make it too. So I hope you're running fast in something now. I hope you found your or are seeking and finding your spiritual gifts and what we might call your ministry niche, the place that you fit into the kingdom. If you're on our uh, mailing list, electronic mailing list, you got a, an email from the missions committee this past week, maybe yesterday was it, <clears throat> that they are looking to... to set up five subgroups in the missions committee. Maybe that's where you could start if you haven't <clears throat> found a place of service yet. Read that again and you'll start seeing it in the bulletin. So they, they come back rejoicing and they're giving the Lord credit for everything. Sometimes it's helpful to see what they did not say. They didn't complain of being tired, although I'm sure they were drained. They didn't complain of the opposition they encountered, though I'm sure it was there. Demonic warfare is not for the weak at heart. And they did not complain of discouragement, which they might have felt when they were rejected and had to shake the dust off their feet and move on. No, they returned rejoicing in their successes, especially they were excited about casting out unclean spirits. They said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And they, by saying that, they gave Christ the glory for this. It's in your name, Lord, that it happened and we saw it. So we should mark that well this morning too. Any victories over Satan are obtained by power derived from the Lord Jesus Christ. He is Lord over heaven and earth. In his name, we enter into battle against spiritual enemies. And if you gain any advantage in the fight, King Jesus must have all the praise. The way to say this is, if the work is done in his name, then the honor is due to his name. You might step on some toes here, but uh, you've heard of something called a bucket list. Uh, that's things you want to do before you die, before you kick the bucket. And if you have a bucket list, I hope it's a godly one, or at least some godly things are on it. I'm not trying to say it 
non-overtly kingdom things on your bucket list is wrong and you must have only good holy things because that sounds like we've separated the secular from the spiritual. Don't mean to do that. All of life is ministry in that sense. There's nothing wrong with doing fun things, traveling to see something special. But I hope that whatever you do cross off the list, at least part of it, half of it, was kingdom-focused, not just self-centered and just fun for fun's sake. I guess skydiving is a thrill, but my thinking is if you're in a perfectly good airplane that's still running, you should stay in it. But you see what we're saying here. I hope you know what I mean. Be sure that there are things on your list like share Christ with a Buddhist or a Muslim or wash your neighbor's car in Jesus' name, even if you don't tell them that's why you're doing it. Anyway, the disciples are thrilled at being used by Christ. If, if devils are subject to us, who can stand before us? And even if it doesn't go this well, even if one battle doesn't go well, they still knew our side wins the overall war. Well, that's the disciples' experience, and so now let's turn to Jesus' response to it. I'm so glad these verses are here, uh, 18 through 20. We have all kinds of experiences, but we need Jesus to interpret them for us, don't we? We think we see things the right way, and we think we know what's going on, but we need Jesus to inform it, to give it the right meaning. Why do we need that? Because Jeremiah tells us that our hearts are desperately wicked and evil who can know them. Another way to put that is to say that the internal GPS that you were born with, your heart, is suspect. So left alone, especially in its unconverted state, it will steer you wrong every time, and even as believers, it's far from perfect. So what does King Jesus say about their experience? Starting in verse 18 now, he, he confirms it. And he says it agrees with his own observation. The first thing he says is, in verse 18, I saw. Simple words, but let that sink in for a moment. He says, my heart and my eye went along with you. I saw. I took notice of the success you had. You were not alone. This is the best news a spiritual orphan can ever hear, you are not alone. Some of us today might need to be reminded of that great gospel truth, you are not alone. And then he says what he saw. He saw Satan fall like lightning from the sky. Satan and his kingdom crashed and burned before the preaching of the gospel. Jesus says, you disciples, you gained ground and Satan lost ground. He falls just like lightning from heaven. How so? Well, suddenly, strikingly, irrecoverably, visibly for all to see powerfully. The disciples cast demons from people's bodies, but 
Christ sees it even more truly and clearly as the devil losing terribly his grip on the souls of men. When Satan loses a soul, it is a bad fall for him. This is not a stumble or a little trip over a pebble. Talking about not just bodies, but souls he is losing. Now, this is the meaning of uh, Ephesians 6, 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms or in the high places, as another translation puts it. This is at the highest order of things, the battle for men's souls and the gospel won. I saw the movie The Avengers. It's been a while, but the special effects, lots of special effects movies, but that was amazing. And I wish somehow all of that creative talent and energy could be brought to bear on this verse, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. What did Jesus really see? I'd love to know. Well, further, the text says in verse 19, I've given you power to trample and crush Satan and his kingdom. And this can be traced all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, where God first gives us the promise of the gospel. That's where it says, uh, you, Satan, will bite his heel, prefiguring the cross, and you, Jesus, will crush his head, pointing to the cross. So... Jesus says that he is crushing the serpent's head and now here in, he's going to crush Satan's head and now here in the gospel, in Luke's gospel, it's actually coming to pass. Soon Jesus will go to the cross to pay for the sins of the ones he stole away from Satan and the resurrection will prove the power of Christ to actually work righteousness for his people. So when he sees Satan fall from heaven in defeat as the disciples did ministry, Jesus is saying that's a down payment, that's earnest money on what's to come fully and finally. And so take courage, friends. It, it's already been started and it's being more fully accomplished even today as you and I engage in kingdom work at whatever level, whatever place, and one day soon. It will be completely done as Satan is thrown into the lake of fire. So that's the trajectory of biblical redemption history as it's being played out before us. And here, Christ foresaw that the preaching of the gospel, which would fly like lightning across the world, would, wherever it went, wherever it goes, pull down Satan's kingdom. And notice, too, Jesus enlarges and expands on their power. He says, yes, you saw demons submit, but there's even more. He says, you will trample on snakes and scorpions and not be harmed. <clears throat> and we do need to see this figuratively in a sense. Now, don't let that discourage you or make you think I'm liberalizing or reducing the power of it. Actually, I'm going in the other direction, and here's what I mean. The scriptures often do this. I said earlier, the lake of fire. Well, Satan will wish it was only a literal 
lake of fire. Unbelievers in hell will wish it were only literal burning. Likewise, when the Bible says heaven's streets will be paved with gold, when you get there, you will be so glad that it wasn't just literal gold. I don't know what it will be, but it'll be better than that. In other words, the, the image used falls far short of the reality because Scripture uses the known, something known, to explain and point to the unknown, and it has to be because there's no frame of reference here on this earth for what heaven or hell will really be like. So when, when he says you'll trample snakes and scorpions, he's saying, don't worry. Don't be afraid about when you preach the gospel in my name. You'll be just fine. He says, I promise nothing will harm you in any real sense where it really matters. Have you learned this secret yet? I hope you have. Um, I mentioned at the missions conference um, a couple weeks ago that there are 80 earthquakes a day in Japan, measurable on a seismograph. No, no, we didn't feel 80 a day. In fact, sometimes days and weeks and maybe even a month would go by where we didn't feel one right where we were. But in the whole country of Japan, on all the seismographs, there are 80 tremors a day. And you do feel, there was another big one just a few days ago. We always get notices when we're still following all of that. Well, the safest place in the world is not the country with no earthquakes or tsunamis. I've given you authority over the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. The safest place in the world is in the hand of God, wherever you might be. And then the real zinger comes in verse 20. He directs them to turn their joy in the right channel, the right way. He says, I'm glad you're rejoicing, but be sure you're rejoicing in the right things. It's great that demons cower before you. That's real spiritual power, but there's something even greater to rejoice in. Don't rejoice in your successful mission merely as an honor, and it is an honor. Don't just see it as a confirmation of ministry accomplished, and it is, it was a confirmation. Don't rejoice in this only or chiefly, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And that's because you are chosen of God. You are children of God through faith alone in Christ alone. And we see who's saying this. Who, who's speaking? Well, it's Christ, the second person of the Trinity, the Lamb of God, who knows well the very council chambers of God where he came from. And he could tell them with full authority that their names were written, in fact written, in the Lamb's book of life. It's the Lamb who's speaking. This is true for all believers, all blood-bought sons and daughters of the king, all adopted and enrolled in his family. Now that is a matter of joy, greater than casting out devils. If you think about it, apparently Judas probably cast out demons and did many other things, even in Jesus' name, yet he is disowned <clears throat> by Christ. His name is not, was not, is not 
written in the great census of God. He is not numbered there. But those whose names are written in the great census book of God will never perish. Power, the power to become children of God is to be valued more than the power to work miracles. This means that saving graces are more to be rejoiced in than spiritual gifts, even. This is what Paul meant in the great love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, when he said, holy love, the love of God, is a more excellent way even than speaking in tongues. Well, how do, how do we summarize all this? Um, <clears throat> to put it plainly, rejoice not in what ministry you do, however great, rather rejoice in what has been done for you. If we could summarize the whole message this morning, it's this, rejoice more in your position than in your power. This is, the, I think, one of the great tendencies of Christians because I do it, and that is to somehow start to trust in what we do, not who we are in Christ. In this world, we hear things like, there's no free lunch. And it resonates in the human heart that you have to do something. There's a catch. You have to pay. There's no free lunch. Well, there is one. And we had it last week, like we do every month, the Lord's Supper, but it just somehow slips away from us in, in daily life. And maybe part of the, the problem, if it's a problem, would be that Jesus in this text is not saying don't rejoice in successful ministry. He's saying rejoice more that your name is in heaven. He's saying do both, but one of them more. So we, in closing too, we should point out a, a bit about the relationship between our work in ministry and the fact that our names are written in heaven. Which comes first? What's the proper order? Did God see us at work doing great kingdom ministry and say, now there's a person that I would like to write in my book? No, just the opposite. While we were dead in our trespasses and sin, God made us alive in Christ. Ephesians 2 or Romans 5, 8. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It does not say, after we got our ministry act together, Christ died for us. No. <clears throat> While we were still sinners. <clears throat> and so our ministry flows from our election in Christ. Ministry you participate in, election you don't. You only receive it. Being chosen by God before the foundation of time shuts our mouths, does it not, in regard to boasting. And in fact, being chosen by God becomes the fuel for ministry. Powerful, God-honoring ministry is a result of your name being written in heaven, not the cause of it. Christ's design in this text is to pull his disciples away from transitory joy based on experience so that they might glory in their eternal life. And so he leads them to the origin and the source, which is that they were chosen by God and adopted as his children. So reasons for praising God, no doubt, come from those things we feel within us and the, that we do, but eternal election 
which is without us, outside of us, shows more clearly that our salvation rests on the pure goodness of God. And that's what Jesus wanted them to know, and that's what Jesus wants us to know today. Rejoice not that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice more that your names are written in heaven. That's not just good advice, that's good news. Let's pray. And so, Father, again, this morning, with joy, we lay hold of you by faith again, and we ask that you would show us and confirm again what ministry you might be calling us to, and all the while remind us of the gospel of grace that fuels it all. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.